Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, and ClarkDeals.com, where we post deals for you around the clock. Speaking of deals coming up later, stores are closing all over the place. And I see shopping centers hollowing out with more and more vacant space. I want to talk to you about all the stores going out of business and where there's potential hazard for you and your wallet from that. But I want to talk about a different kind of hazard right now. Bankrate did a survey about credit card debt. And the stunner is that people who have higher net worths, people who have six-figure net worths, that for the survey purposes were people with one hundred dollars to $200,000 of net worth, which is not fabulously wealthy, but it sure is nice if you have hundred dollars to $200,000 in net worth, which means oh, what you have versus what you owe on the things you have that more than half are carrying credit card debt, not using credit cards, carrying debt on credit cards. In fact, it's significantly higher among people with a net worth of up to a couple hundred thousand than it is with people who've got nothing and may use credit cards just to get by. So... The psychology of this is really important. And there's an old, old expression that nobody uses anymore, but I'm going to use it as kind of a place of explaining this, and that is keeping up with the Joneses. That people think, without even realizing they're thinking this way, that what they see around them is what's normal to have. And if somebody lives in, let's say, a more affluent neighborhood, and they're driving around, let's say, in an older car, and they see their neighbors all around them with shiny new fancy cars, well, it just becomes natural for them that they go get a shiny new car and take out a loan to pay for it. If they see nice new furniture going into a neighbor's house, they think they're supposed to have nice new furniture. That it's a matter of us being too influenced by those immediately around us, and we create expectations for ourselves of what we're supposed to do. Um, One of my kids went to a private school for a while, and it was kind of a joke looking at the vehicles and carpool line at the elementary school. 
And you'd see one vehicle after another, after another, after another, that was a fancy new SUV. And, I mean, did everybody all need fancy new SUVs at the same moment? But it kind of takes hold in an insular culture. And our neighborhoods, the people we socialize with, the people we go to church or religious congregation with, we are influenced in so many ways by other people that can be great ways. But when it comes to possessions, that's where we get ourselves into trouble. I want to remind you of this, that the people who have the greatest net worth are the people who make a decent living, but with that living live a more modest life. And it's like when I talk to kids and I ask them, who's the rich family? And they always assume it's the picture I put up of the people with the fancy house, the fancy cars, and the fancy gadgets. And then the other family I show that lives in a modest house with an old car and, let's say, an old TV in the picture. And they miss the point that I use as a very good way to reach them that it's the people with the modest stuff that got the money in, not the bank, let's hope, in the credit union and in the investment houses and are building long-term wealth and not owing Visa or MasterCard money. Nobody ever got rich paying Visa or MasterCard 18%. Karen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Karen. Hey, Clark, how are you doing today? Great, thank you, Karen. You have a question for me that is a puzzle. Yes, sir. Let me hear. I have a credit card um, that I have had for the past 15 years. I have recently applied for and received a credit card from another company that does not have an annual fee and also has some member benefits. And I am curious to find out, because you always tell us not to cancel credit cards and to just put one charge on them a year just to sort of keep them active, I am trying to find out, because of some recent activity with my credit score, um, if I do decide to cancel this credit card that holds an annual fee, how might, if at all, this impact my credit? So immediately where it affects you is on what's known as your ratios, the amount of your available credit you're using. So what kind of credit limit does this 15-year-old card have? And and Clark, I misspoke. I'm not worried about my credit. I'm actually more worried about my credit score. Yeah, well, that's the same thing. Okay, understood. In terms of how you're evaluated. So do you know what the limit is on that 15-year-old? I honestly don't. Right, so that's a key piece of information uh, that after we talk, I'd like you to check. Because... What I might want you to do, the 15-year history you have with it will still reflect on your report, even if you close that account. You know, you will have shown all that time with that card, is for you to try to replace it with a no-fee card that has a limit equivalent or potentially higher so that you don't mess up what's almost a third of what makes up your credit score, which is what percent of the credit you have are you using in any month 
I see. So if, if the credit limit on this credit card that I've had for 15 plus years is the same or less than the new credit card that I took out, canceling it will not be tremendously impactful. Right. It will not be. But will you only have one card going forward when you close? So that I don't want you to do. I want you to think Noah's Ark rule. You always want to have two major credit cards from different issuers as part of what makes your credit healthier in terms of how it looks when people are evaluating you. And it gives you more flexibility if one of the credit card companies starts having a lot of charge-offs, a lot of bad debt, and they say, ooh, we're going to get rid of a lot of our account holders. Who should we start with? And then it could be you, and then you go from one card to zero. So I'd like you to uh, not only, if you do decide to close the card with an annual fee, get another one that is fee-free. And one of them that I like right now is the City Double Cash because you get 2% cash back on everything you charge, and it has no annual fee. Okay. And so, again, with the credit score, if I do close this credit card with the annual fee and then take out another credit card, as, as you're recommending for the city double cash, how does that impact the credit score? Great question. So in the immediate aftermath, it may having a credit app may, what's known as a hard inquiry, may lower you like 12, 15 points on your score. But having more available credit, that part of your score is worth over 300 of your point. So, no, not quite 300, 270, I think. So, it's one is a temporary uh, minor impact. The other is a major benefit over time, having more available credit. Cole is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Cole. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You are how old, Cole? I'm 19 years old. And what have you already done in your life? Uh, this summer, I, with the help of my parents, I bought a property with three houses on it and a rental property that has six units. And since then, I've bought a another property with two houses on it on my own. I got the one by myself. And then I also bought another house on land contract. So you've done all this by 19 years old? Yeah, I started this summer in July, and then I've, I've gone that far since then. Now, you know this is very, very, very unusual. Yeah, I know. It definitely is. So do you have tenants? Are these income-producing properties already? Yeah, they produce income for me on top of what my payment is. I've got all 12 units full, and I've honestly, I've got a lot of people even asking me to move into to rentals. So that's not, that hasn't been a problem with me so, for me so far. This is yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, tell me uh, how I can be of service to you, because I'm already so impressed I can't stand it. Well, my main question, uh, my grandpa brought to my attention the other day that there was an apartment complex. It's kind of a big step, but it's a 24-unit apartment complex, and it's $800,000. And traditional financing through my bank, uh, they're really not interested in giving me another loan just because they think I should wait longer. I was wondering if you had any advice on creative financing or any other ways to go about it. Wow. All right. So the normal way you would get something like that financed, if you're not good for the bank credit, is the seller of that apartment complex mm-hmm. would be the one that would be the best to finance it for you. Yeah. We, we're going to meet with him, um, but I, I don't think he's going to want to do that. He's actually selling to try to buy a bigger apartment complex. So I think he wants the money down. 
But other than that, I was just wondering if there's any sort of program or... No, but I will tell you this. I am so impressed with what you've done. Thank you. But you may want to slow down a little bit. You've taken on a lot already. Yeah. And you've Um, got a long road in front of you. Okay. And so... I, I know I'm hearing from you. You see this opportunity right now. You've already made so much happen at light speed, and you're yeah. ready to go on and go from, I gather, I tried to count everything you said. It sounded like 10, 11, 12 properties you have now? Yeah. There's six houses, and there's 12 units. Wow. And double that and end up with three times the number of properties, bam, just like that. Yeah, and so yeah, I guess I'm helping my family, but um, I just wanted to, to see what you would think about that. So I think I think digest for now what you've already taken on. Okay, because you're generating nice income from these twelve. Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. And I, there's there's something that I've always felt for entrepreneurs: you gotta be careful that you don't go broke trying to make money too quickly. Okay, and so. I love the enthusiasm and obviously the Herculean accomplishments already. Thank you. But if money is not readily available for you to borrow and you'd have Mm -hmm. to borrow at high risk interest rates, you're going to make the hurdles tougher for you to cross with this 24 unit building. And if the seller isn't interested in doing seller financing, if they're interested in doing seller financing, maybe... I'm being too cautious. But if you're okay. having to go out and get high-risk money, I would say slow down, absorb what you've already accomplished, let it create wealth for you, and then you move on because you're already showing that you are going to be extremely successful. Just don't get ahead of yourself. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Nicole is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Clark. Nicole, you got a question for me about buying real estate. Yes. So I'm a realtor, and my home has roughly a little over 90 grand in equity. And I was wondering if it would be smart to pull some of that equity out and buy an investment property. I really want to get into that side of things. Real estate has moved up beyond generally people's ability to afford to buy a home. You're a real estate agent. You're out there all the time. Mm -hmm. You know when a property is an unusually good deal. Mm -hmm. There aren't as many of those right now. Right. So... If you were to put at risk the equity you have in your personal residence to buy an investment property, buy a rental property, it's got to be one that the numbers work two ways. One, that for whatever reason or circumstance, it's not in a position where it is uh, in rarefied air in terms of value. 
And second, that if you start renting it out, you can be cash flow positive from the beginning. And the reason that's important is if you guess wrong and the value does decline later after you buy it, if you are cash flow positive on the rental, you can ride that out. On the other hand, if you're upside down where you're bringing in less money each month than your carry on the property, that's too high a level of risk for you to have your existing equity evaporate into an investment property. Okay. You have you have an inside track that puts you a step ahead of the rest of us and uh-huh. that you have the heartbeat of the real estate market every day. Uh-huh. So if you can meet those two tests, I think you can do it. But otherwise, know that I know this is going to sound so so terrible of me to say the opportunity really is going to present itself when we go into the next recession. Okay. And so that's when values do take a pause from the the increases. The increase in home values generally around the country been going up at more than twice people's average increase in income outstripping people's ability to afford and that's why this is not the opportune moment for rental properties to buy them unless you find that diamond in the rough first the bad news sap business ai won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in southeast asia identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. So I need to give you a heads up. You know, the Christmas selling season was really rough on a lot of retailers. And those with physical stores, you see a lot of vacancies. I mean, I, I think about shopping center after shopping center I go into that you'll have the empty spaces. That, you know, that there was a retailer maybe there a long time, gone, one after another. And this is happening all over America. You know, we were the most overstored country on earth. We had three times the retail square footage per person in the United States, I think, of the next closest country. But now that's starting to reform itself. And retailers are closing for any of a number of reasons, which leads to the store closing sales, or as it's called in the industries, the GOBs, going out of business sales. So... You need to know that GOBs that we're going to have through the spring are not necessarily a deal for you. The companies that specialize in running the GOBs, uh, and there are companies that, uh, that this is what they do for the company's existence, the people that work for them live as nomads. I read an item in the Wall Street Journal a while back about how difficult the life is for the people on the management teams that go in 
for these companies if they win the business of closing a retailer, I mean, how tough their existence is living in hotel rooms all year long, just going from city to city, closing out a store. So I respect what they do, but I need to know it's not necessarily good for you as a customer because the sales are all designed to manipulate your buying behavior. A lot of the merchandise that will be sold in a GOB is stuff that was never actually sold in the retail store that was there before. It's merchandise specifically designed to go in there to give a perception that you're getting a great deal. And if they only sold the inventory that was in the store, there wouldn't be enough merchandise to make it seem like it was worth your time to go in. So know that most of the discounts are an illusion. And it's up to you if you shop a going out of business sale to let your smartphone be your friend. And when you see an item that you're excited because the sign says going out of business, 40% off on these items, go do your own price check right then. You can use uh, com or any other shopping comparison site. And if you can comparison shop that item, you'll be able to see is it really a deal or not And unfortunately, more often than not, the things being sold at those clearance sales, those going out of business sales, will not be a deal. Be aware of that. Be careful. Be a smart shopper. Brian's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brian. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Brian. I have a question about what my homeowner association is doing. I have some concerns. So, I of course, I live in a community where there's a homeowner association, and the association is planning on doing a bulk purchase of Internet and TV on behalf of all the residents through a fiber optic service provider. The residents would pay about $90 a month for high-speed Internet and television, and um, they are planning to sign a 10-year contract for this. Whoa! Whoa! Wait! What? No! Yeah. No! Wait, 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 wait. So the association, are you in a mandatory association community? Yes. Wow. So the the board of directors wants to sign a 10-year fiber optic agreement that would stick current and future residents, owners, with an obligation that would go till... Right. I would never do that. Never. What kind of penalty is there if, you know, the market is changing so fast right now? That's exactly my concern. What kind of penalty is there, a break penalty, a break fee, that the association would have to pay if later the resident said, a new board says, this is a terrible idea, we got to cancel this thing. Do you know what the break fee is? Or I, I do not. That's a very good question. All right. So how far along is the board? Are they canvassing homeowners to see well, how they feel about this? Yeah. 
they are fairly far along. They already took a vote that they are going to go forward with with this, and they are in the process of turning the proposal into a contract. But I hope that the contract has not been signed already. Uh, interestingly, they took a survey of the residents, and actually 53% of the residents voted to go against the fiber optic. They claim that, well, you know, they're just doing a survey. That's not really, it's still the, the board's decision. And um, it was only 35% of the residents who responded to the survey. All right. What but, I would um, do, what so, I would do fast as you possibly can, this is going to sound so analog, but I would go print up as many yard signs as you can and have people put signs in the yard, no to fiber, and, mm-hmm. and have a citizen uprising. I mean, my feeling is that there's a good chance this is a bad idea because in four years... No, 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 no. There's not... Let me tell you something. There's not a chance this is a bad idea. It's this is a bad idea. At a time of rapid technological change, it is a major error to enter into a decade-long agreement for technology like Internet and television. That is, I mean, when you look how much things have changed in the last year with all the people cutting the cord across the country that all the experts said would not happen for years and years and years and years and years, this is a rotten idea, and you need to stir up the membership and get people up in arms before it maybe harms people's ability to sell their properties down the road rotten idea this board especially doing a survey and going against people's wishes what are they thinking angela's with us on the clark howard show hi angela hi clark how's it going angela everything is going great so you have college kids you want to talk to me about how can i help with them yes well it has also to do more with changing from our monster mega bank that uh, we always listen to your show. And so my husband and I are actually going to follow your advice. And I was doing a lot of research on your website about some of the online banks and also we're USAA members. Thank you for your service to our country. Yes. Well, thank you for yours. You give a lot of great advice. So uh, we have two kids in college, and uh, they live in different towns. So we're regularly transferring money to their uh, bank accounts each month for them to pay for their expenses. And because we have an account in one bank, they have an account with a different bank, it always seems to be a big hassle. That's one thing that we do. And also, my husband, with his job, He flies for an airline, and so he's a lot of times at international destinations, and he doesn't like to use cars when he's traveling. There's such a high risk of fraud, so he tends to use cash. Okay, let me me get him to change that. And what I would do is I would go all in with USAA Bank. Okay. He'd be able to use his ATM card overseas to get foreign currency when he needs it, but I like it better if he uses... A credit card overseas where there's no foreign currency transaction fees, he'll have a more efficient use of his money. 
and the fraud risk exists, but it's not ridiculously bad, and he's not at risk for the losses if a card is compromised when he's overseas. And for the kids, if you go all in with USAA Bank, they can have accounts that in just a second on the app, the USAA app, you can put money in their accounts as money's needed. Okay, well, that would make it easy, but each of them has to have uh, their own individual account. Is With that USAA, right. I think it's best for them as college students to have their own USAA accounts, get them established, yours linked to them, and as money's needed, you put that money in there. It's a great, great, easy way for you to do all your banking, and it should be flawless. Stephen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. You are getting collection notices. Tell me about that. I am. I I got a notice via email that one of the three credit agencies has me listed as owing um, $2,200, and I am in collections for it. And so I called the collection agency, and they had my email attached to some gentleman who lives four states away as having purchased a car. So the best I was able to do from them was to get a letter saying that they were going to tell the credit agency that they need to reverse this, take it off of my credit. If Um, you can get a letter like that, that's not best. That's great. Well, yes. Okay, good, good. Um, what I'm afraid of is, well, actually, my question for you is, do I call the police and say that this was identity theft or fraud, or was this a clerical error on their part because they won't, they won't admit to either one? So, first of all, the way things appear on credit reports, it's very odd that because of the email address, this would appear on your credit report. The only way that could happen that I am aware of is the collection agency used a database to decide that this debt, because of the email address, belonged to you and reported you to the credit bureau, not the other way around. Well, actually, I got the email from one of these credit places that will notify you after the fact if something shows up on your credit report. Right, right. I understand that. But see, all the credit bureaus do is they collect data that's reported to them by member organizations. Okay. So someone reported to the credit bureau, this particular one, that there was this collection they were pursuing against you. So the way they would have come up with you, the person who is four states away, do they have a different name than you? A, com- a different name, a uh, different ethnicity. It was, um, it was a Latin name, and he lives in four states west of here. Yeah, so and- the whole thing here is that the collection agency somehow using a database they can go through, determine that you were the named individual. They're the ones that did it. They giving the letter, clearing it, giving you a letter saying they're going to clear it up is what you need. If it does not leave your credit report... That's when you contact the credit bureau itself with the documentation you have. Well, I got some work in front of you. Eugene is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Eugene. 
Hello, Clark. Great to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. And you have been using one of those organizations that helps you manage your money, and there's an oops with them. Tell me about that. That's right. So I've been using a uh, online service for several years now, and per, with reasonably good results, uh, better than I would do on my own, I think. But I have found that they are shutting down operations. So I wanted to get some advice from you as where you could find a kind of a cost-effective robo-type advisor to help me with my retirement fund. All right. Betterment and Wealthfront are the big robo-advisory organizations. And you're doing 401k with them? That's right. All right. So how many, are you a solo 401k or do you have a group of employees? Uh, it's solo. It's, it's, it's through my employer. So they're giving me advice on the... Uh, oh, oh, okay. All right. So this is an advisory for you how to do your 401k, which is why it's That's never right. come up here. So this is different than Betterment or Wealthfront, where you're actually doing it with them instead of this is being an advisory, a robo-advisory. So your employer is meeting the requirement of providing advice to people through a third party. Well, I, I found the third party on my own. So oh, you did? I have, I have a plan through my employer for the 401k, and they give some advice. But I went out on my own to a different channel and found and found this 401 advisor. Well, there is another I can tell you about mm-hmm. that is out there. I don't know how successful they are and all the rest. It's called Bloom. Okay. B-L-O-O-O-M dot com. And okay. they do a free analysis of what you're up to. But if you want them to do stuff for you going forward, it's 120 bucks a year. Okay. What have you been paying for the robo-advisory you've been using? The one that I've been using was about 200 a year. Oh, well, <laughs> so maybe this will save you 80 bucks a year. There you go. So the alternative, if you wanted to just put things on automatic pilot... Does your employer's 401k plan offer you a target retirement fund option series? Yes, they do. And you're uncomfortable with doing the target retirement? Uh, I'm not necessarily uncomfortable. I just thought it might be better to uh, be a little more strategic directly through it and pick my own funds. Yeah. So here's what I'd like you to do. Go to the target retirement fund choice that your employer offers that would fit the year closest to your target date to retire. And you can see what they're allocating money to, how they're diversifying. Compare it to how the the robo-advisory folks were recommending and how you were allocating. And if they parallel pretty closely, I would just go straight in the target retirement fund and use it. If you find that the strategies employed are quite different, then go check out Bloom and see if that would work as an alternative for you. Okay, thank you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.